These trees were planted long ago When humankind was young And in the intervening years Poets, saints, and balladeers Have writ of all the sundry fears That lie within the woods The strange, strange woods I'm here at the home of Peter Howland Where just over a year and a half ago The body of 18-year-old Jacob Wells Was discovered on this property At the time, authorities called it an accidental death But Jacob's uncle, Donald Van Kalkar, has new information that he says should prompt law enforcement to reopen the case. Allen called the sheriff's department and he asked him if uh, there was a reward for finding my nephew. And, And when he found out that there wasn't, he waited three days before telling them he found his body on his property. Now you telling me he didn't know where he was when he called about that reward? And you think perhaps Jacob was still alive when Mr. Holland made the call? Uh, That's right. That's exactly right. He let him die out of spite for the whole town is what I think. In a related twist to the story, Donald's son, John Francis, was recently injured on Howland's property while playing with his cousin, Jacob's sister, Peregrine Wells. Along with three other teens, the pair have been training to undertake a survival challenge, allegedly spearheaded by Howland. And when the winter brings to bear that cold and creeping night, we huddle around the solstice feast, awaiting daylight from the east to ward off any howling beast that wanders from the woods. The strange, strange woods. They should be opening an investigation into negligence for my son, and they should be opening a wrongful death investigation for Jacob. We've got a monster right here in Whitetail threatening the safety of our community. We have to do something about it. I'm Brett Ryback, and this is In Strange Woods. Chapter 3. Alone. Right now I'm making the ones, okay, so these are the ones with the nuts, and then these are the ones when, when they're done I'm going to make without the nuts. And then I got the frosted sugar cookies, I got the ginger snaps, the lady fingers, and the peanut butter blossoms. Oh, don't forget the lemon squares. No, and I got the lemon squares, but those I just buy at the pick and save. Don't, don't tell anyone that. Oh, come on. They already know. No, they do, no, they they do not. It's December 27th, and Irene O'Connor is baking treats for her annual New Year's Eve party, only four days away. It's a favorite event in the community, and she's been throwing it for the last 13 years. 2003, ever since Shanley was born. But this year, Irene has reason to be nervous. Tensions between the Wells family and their cousins, the Van Kalkars, have been high ever since John Francis fractured his wrist. Listen to this. This is the message that I got from Kathy. Hi, Irene. It's Kathy calling. Um, I hope you and Declan and the boys had a good Christmas yesterday. Mm. Um, the reason I, I wanted to call is... Here she goes. I think with everything that's been going on the last couple of weeks, it, it might be best if Peregrine and I just don't come to the party this year. And, you know, okay. we just don't want to... So you heard we that. We don't want to... Okay, so then today I get this one. 
Hold on. Here we go. <clears throat> um, hi, Mrs. O'Connor. This is John Francis, uh, Van Kalkar. Um, uh, my dad wanted me to call you to let you know that we're probably not going to come to your New Year's Eve party on Saturday. Did and you hear that? that? We're really sorry about that. I mean, this just really threw me for a doozy here, because without them, there's no turkey drop. I don't know oh, how to... good. Yeah, great. You won't set the damn house on fire. No, okay, because ignore him. He's always hated the turkey drop. Okay, a quick history on the turkey drop. Irene's sister lives in a town called Escanaba, Michigan. She told Irene about a local tradition there called the pasty drop. During the countdown to midnight on New Year's Eve, a crane lowers a giant pasty onto a street festival below, like the ball in Times Square. A pasty is a meat pie. It's kind of like a local delicacy there. And since we do ham for Christmas, I thought, well, I thought, why don't we just do a turkey drop for New Year's? Just tie it up, and then you lower it into a deep fryer, and then an hour later, everybody's got a late-night snack. So I thought that... You heard that right. For the past two years, the O'Connors have lowered a raw turkey into a deep fryer to ring in the new year. It quickly became a holiday favorite, and a new whitetail tradition was born. So the first year, we did it inside over the stove, and... And she burnt down the house. No, I... <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. get... Go away. What? I almost burn it down. It's so, you're just so dramatic. What is this? You're showing off. So then last year... We had to repaint the wall. Well, we had to anyway. So anyway, last year we moved it outside and we bought a fire extinguisher. But someone didn't take the turkey out of the fridge in time and oh, so we missed the whole countdown all together. Yeah. yeah. So this year the, the plan is that we just set everything up in advance and let the turkey just hang above the fryer until we're ready to turn it on and drop her in. So that I thought, hold on. The problem is Kathy Wells owns the bull rope they use for the turkey, a professional grade rope that won't burn up in the deep fryer. It's a leftover from her ex-husband who ran a tree trimming business. The other problem is, the deep fryer belongs to Donald Van Kalkar. And now we got this family feud going on, and the turkey drop is hanging in the balance. Cancel it. Oh, I just to Pete, says he has always hated the turkey drop. I don't know what it is. I went to the Wells house that afternoon. There was tension in the air. Well, I feel betrayed. I don't know how else to say it. I told her I didn't want her going over there to Holland's place anymore. So she's upset at me, and Donald's upset at me, and Irene is upset at me, and I just, I don't know. What is Donald upset about? Well, he blames me for what happened to John Francis, and I, I, and he thinks I'm being naive about Jacob. You know, ever since my divorce, he's felt the need to be Uncle Donald in charge with the kids, and I appreciate it. I really do, but... You know, I think I know how to raise my own kids. <laughs> and now he's calling up a lawyer, and I guess he just, he, he's wanting to press charges. It's just, it's starting to get real complicated. Donald is calling a lawyer? That's the last I heard. That's so stupid. Nobody did anything wrong. Well, you don't think it was wrong for you kids to be running around the woods by yourselves? Your cousin had a compound wrist fracture. It That's was an accident, okay? How was it making us do anything? He wasn't even there. It was my fault, okay? It was my fault. Well, why wasn't Mr. Howland there? If you were out in the woods by his house. Because I'm trying to learn how to be self-sufficient so that I don't have to rely on somebody else to take care of me because you'll just let me down anyway. Excuse me, but I am looking out for your safety. 
I don't understand what is so important that you gotta make some plans and put your life at risk. No, you wouldn't understand because you don't even know how to make decisions on your own. I just want to know that I can trust you again because I don't right now and it is my job to protect you. If you don't want me training with Howell, that's fine. But when I turn 18 in February, I'm going on the final. And if I have to go by myself, I'll go by myself. But I'm going. So, now you know what it's been like. Peregrine tidies the desk in her room. There's dirty clothes strewn on the floor, a stack of incomplete college applications on her dresser. It's been a difficult few weeks. The mud on the bottom of my boots The holes in my sweater The knots in my hair There's a feeling that echoes when you leave the woods It follows you the whole way home The blood on the bottom of my lip The scrapes on our elbows, the bruises we share There's an easy surrender when they're by your side Comfort that they'll come to know what you know But they don't, no they don't So I'll do it alone, alone, alone I'll be fine without them Mm. Alone, alone, alone I can't think about them She hasn't called or texted? My dad took my phone when he grounded me, and she hasn't called the house, so... I think she's pissed at me for breaking my wrist. How come? Because then my dad wouldn't be doing all this. We'd be out in the woods, getting ready for the final. A rock at the bottom of the lake A wolf in the clearing A leaf in the air There's a silence that echoes When they're not around Shattering the hope we'd grown Felt like trust, felt like love, felt like home Can I do it alone, alone, alone? Why go on without them? Hmm. Alone, alone, alone I still think about them I don't think the final is going to happen. If Howell gets arrested, I mean, even if he doesn't, why would he want to go through with it? I get why Peregrine wants to do it, but I just think she's being really selfish about all of this. No, 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 you want to believe that the fight will be fair, that someone will come or that someone will care, but I step in Saving.
Whitetail is generally uneventful enough that talk of the final has crept into everyday conversation, and the town is clearly divided on the topic. On one side, you've got folks who think the kids are old enough to make their own decisions. On the other side, you've got people who believe it's irresponsible to look the other way while teens risk their lives. I can feel myself standing directly in the middle. I sympathize with Peregrine. She was so close to accomplishing something that she cared a lot about. But I also know how one's judgment can be clouded by emotions, especially when there's trauma involved. And I can only imagine how scary it must be as a parent to see your kids putting their lives at risk for the sake of, well, anything. And then there's Howell. Never have I met a man who, the more you learn about him, the less clear he becomes. The stories I could tell you, the stories everybody's got about this guy. And Donald's right. Everybody does have stories about him. And the more stories you hear, the less Howell seems like a real person, the more he becomes like a character in a tall tale. A cautionary story that parents tell their kids about an evil winter king who reigns during the cold months, draping the village in early darkness so he can eat little children who misbehave. I'm only half kidding. White tailors have pretty strong opinions about him. Oh yeah, no, he's crazy. Weirdo. Completely deranged. Here's Donald Van Kalkar again. So John Francis is 18, and then man, I tell you, when, when kids turn 18, you know, they think they can do whatever they want. And legally speaking, sure, maybe they can. You know? So I don't have any legal ways to keep my son from participating. But I can take legal action against Howland and protect my son that way. So is it true you're talking to a lawyer? Yes, sir. You better believe I am. In addition to a negligence charge against Howell for John Francis's broken wrist, Donald wants the sheriff's department to open a wrongful death investigation into his nephew's death. If Howell knew that Jacob was alive and injured somewhere, but didn't say anything, that omission could be criminal. I get where Donald is coming from. This is Sheriff Neil Porter. He led the search effort when Jacob Wells went missing. He and Donald have clashed ever since Porter started working in Whitetail. My wife and I have a four-year-old and a six-month-old, so as a parent, I get wanting to lash out against someone who's hurt your family. Then why don't you think a wrongful death investigation should be opened? The coroner's report says Jacob Wells died the night he went missing, the night of the snowstorm. Now, I know some people like to think Howland has superhuman abilities, but how was he supposed to know that Jacob was out there that night in the middle of a snowstorm? But... Was there a phone call asking about a reward for finding him alive? I can't comment on that sort of thing. Are you saying there was a phone call, but you can't comment on it? I have no comment, but if you look at the facts, and the fact that Howland has no history of criminal behavior, everyone just needs to calm down. But if you ask some of the locals, Howell does have a history in Whitetail. And not a very good one. Now he's got a grudge against this town. Had one ever since he got here. Now he's got John Francis pledging allegiance to his nonsense. Puts him in the hospital, gets him riled up for some survival challenge. There's only so much you can take. There's a cost to causing trouble, causing trouble in this town. Try and drag my people down, well not today. There's a cost to causing trouble, causing trouble just for fun. You can hide and you can run, but someone's always gonna pay. 
It's been like this for years. So I heard from Vicky, uh, you know, waitress down at the Greystone Diner, that she heard straight from... I heard from one of our regulars, says he saw Howland physically removing trail markers from trees. Said they were too close to his property. Just hacking them off like he wants people to get lost. And then... When they come knocking for help, all he gives them is a lecture about how they ought to know better than going out in the woods with no plan. No, it's like he gets a kick out of seeing people suffer. I swear, I've told John Francis a million times, we are social creatures. The man who solves other people's issues won't have any of his own. Cause there's a prize for proper living, proper living earns respect. Do your part and cash the checks, now that's the way. There's a prize for proper living, proper living got me here. Make a problem disappear, and someone's always gonna pay. You know why I like Donald Van Kelkar? Uh, he's a straight talker. Yeah, he talks your ears straight off. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> Bait and Tackle run a small fishing and hunting goods store right where the town meets the forest. Those aren't their real names, but that's what everyone calls the 64-year-old twin brothers. They've heard their fair share of stories about Howell, too. I told Donald this. There's the time somebody saw him sleeping inside a gutted moose. <laughs> Got him climbing out from under a flap around 5 a.m. like it was nothing. Gives me the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it. At least it's warmer than sleeping at my mother-in-law's. Yeah, smells better, too. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Oh, but the dog. Oh, yeah, the dog's another story. Yeah, tell him. Okay, so this couple comes into the shop, you know, uh, they're up from Madison, little weekend trip, and uh, the wife, she's crying and crying, husband doesn't know what to do, see, they went out for a hike that morning, and... Young couple, I saw him that morning, had this big dog, Mastiff, English Mastiff, they said, real proud. And the two of them are out there, probably two miles into the forest, they just got the dog walking 50 feet in front of them, and suddenly... Whoosh! An arrow zooms out of nowhere, flat down goes the Mastiff. They start screaming, terrified. Where'd that come from? What the hell's going on? Then Howland comes over, compound bow in his hand. He's yelling back at him. You don't bring a beast like that into the forest. What do you expect? It looks like a deer from 80 yards. Heaven knows why they didn't press charges. Poor kids. I earned my place. I paid my dues. I won't forget what else here looks like you this madman spreads his poison round trying to see my work undone but he does not control this town not my family not my son cause there's a path that's pay for justice pay for justice in the end if you follow it, my friend, you'll win the day. There's a path that's paid for justice, paid for justice swift and blind. When you leave that path behind, then you are always gonna pay. Yes, there's a path that's paid for justice. Pay for justice swift and blind. When it's threatened by his kind. Then we must always make them pay. Hi there. You're 
What's that? What station do you work for? Oh, uh, no, no, I'm a writer. Can you turn that off? Yeah, sure. I went to Howell's property and found a local TV news van parked out front. They were waiting for Howell to emerge, like Bigfoot fanatics hoping for a money shot. The cameraman said Howell hadn't stepped outside in over 72 hours. Like he's hibernating, he said. I felt sorry for Howell. I really did. I understand the town's frustrations. But the stories White Taylors tell don't exactly line up with the man who opened up to me over a glass of dandelion brandy two and a half weeks ago. Bitter, sure, maybe even angry. But principled. And lonely. He has no family, which connects me to him. Or maybe it blinds me. I don't know. But as far as I can tell, Howl is a folktale in the truest sense of the phrase. He's a story the town has made up to explain the things they can't understand. His isolation, his odd habits, his otherness. In some solstice tales, the Winter King must die in order for each new year to begin. Until he does, the days will continue to get shorter and shorter. It's part of the natural cycle. Those stories, it turns out, aren't about fear of the darkness. They're about making way for the light to return. Stay tuned for more after the break. Again! Three minutes without air, three hours without shelter, three days without water, three weeks without food, three months without hope. Again! Three minutes I meet up with Eric and Woodsley at the southwest entrance to the Whitetail National Forest. They let me join them as they go on an unofficial training hike a few days after Christmas. Oh, after Christmas, I was so bored. I called Eric and I was like, my mom's trying to get me to bake cookies. I've got to get out of this house. Yeah, and I mean, there's woods everywhere, so it's, it's not like we have to go to house to keep training. Yeah, we can just go anywhere. Do you guys think the final is still going to happen? I mean, I want it to. Yeah. I don't think that because John Francis broke his wrist, we shouldn't keep training. Yeah, yeah, he could have broken it pole vaulting too, you know. They're not just going to, like, shut down the whole athletic program just because one kid broke his wrist. Have you guys talked to Peregrine? No. I think she's, like, grounded or something. What do, you, what do you guys think about people in the town who say that what you're doing is dangerous or that you're planning to basically march off to your own death? Mm. I think, like... I don't think we should care about what other people think because, like... Well, how wouldn't? It's also like kids are being shot when they go to school. The planet is falling apart and like mm. nobody's doing anything about it. So maybe adults are acting like they have our best interests at heart, but do they really? Back at the cars, the boys exchange Christmas gifts <laughs> with each other. <laughs> it's it's a lot of tape, sorry. Woodsley tears into neatly folded gold wrapping. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, what is this? It's a vintage Boy Scout merit badge. A pathfinding merit badge. Whoa. Uh, uh, see, from 1932. Wait, that is so cool. I, I got it on eBay. Wow. Wait, this is really awesome. Thanks. Yeah, no, no problem. Okay, open yours, open yours. Okay, okay. 
Eric rips through the crumpled wrapping job, and his eyes light up. Whoa! Right? Isn't that awesome? Wow! It's a Smith & Wesson 7-inch <laughs> yeah. no, folding it knife. In both hands, kind of feel it out. Eric wow. weighs it in his hand. Yeah. Howell always says the more you know, the less you carry, right? Yeah. Well, you got one of these bad boys, you don't need anything else. The aluminum handle is a dark purple, which matches Eric's hat and gloves. It's my favorite color. Yeah, <laughs> no, I had to look everywhere to find that one. On December 29th, Irene O'Connor's party was only two days away, and she still didn't have what she needed for the turkey drop. You know, I'm just waking up in cold sweats. All I can think about is how can I get my hot little hands on the, one of those deep fryers, you know? <laughs> Why couldn't you just borrow them? No, no, no. I mean, oh, hey, sorry you're having family issues, but can I please borrow your bull rope? No, that's that's insensitive. I can't do that. Yeah, so instead she turns to subterfuge. <laughs> well, I telephone Kathy. I'm asking how is she? Then mid-conversation, I drop the attack. I casually ventured a message from Donald. He wants some advice. Would I please call him back? Was that true? No, Brett, of course not. But now she's intrigued and she's asking, what was it? I tell her, he told me he's sorry. She said, why is he sorry? I said, about your fighting. She said, that's exciting, because I'm sorry too. She's as grateful as ever and hangs up the phone to give Donald a ring. She has no indication. I already called him and said the same thing. So, so you were able to get him to talk and work things out. I'm impressed. It honestly wasn't that hard. I just had to play the right card. How they settled affairs, who knows, and who cares? Because now here we are at the party. (laughs) All right, well, cheers to that. So I'm just, I'm going around the people, and I'm I'm curious, have you heard about the kids going out into the woods with Peter Howland? Oh, yeah, yeah, Peregrine Wells. That's right, yeah. And and what do you think about them doing a survival challenge? Would you let your kids do something like that? Oh, no, no way. My kids wouldn't last three seconds without their phones. Could you ever see letting them do something like this, going out in the woods, camping out there? Sure. Yeah? Oh, yeah, why not? I did worse than that when I was a kid. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Sure. You got to let kids learn. You got to let them make mistakes. Even um, dangerous mistakes? Maybe. (laughs) Sometimes. I wouldn't be so worried about them in the woods, but... You think they could survive in the woods alone? I don't know, but you can't protect them from everything. I'd be more worried about Howland. Yeah. Really? I don't trust him. I would imagine he's pretty upset about all the attention, and I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to get even. That's right. I was actually a little worried about coming here tonight. You think he would do something during the party? You never know. That's right. Whether or not they'd let their own children participate in the final was a matter of debate, but there's one feeling these parents shared. But you know, they're not our kids. (laughs) They ain't my kids, so... I'm not their mom, so I don't have to worry about it. Thankfully. Eric and Woodsley gorge themselves on potato chips and pigs in a blanket. They dart back and forth between the upstairs party area and the downstairs rec room. There they are! Hi, hon. Happy New Year. About 40 minutes in, Peregrine and Kathy arrive, bull rope in hand. 15 minutes later, Donald and his wife Wendy show up with John Francis awkwardly carrying the deep fryer, his right hand in a neon blue cast. Irene springs into action. Shannon! Seamus, upstairs! Come on! Let's go, boys! Get up here! Dad! Okay, 
Okay, go, go outside. Go help your father get the turkey drop off. Let's go. It's 8 p.m., four hours until January 1st. I pull Donald aside and ask him if he's still pushing for charges against Howell. I don't know if we should talk about that here. But the answer is yes. Talked to Sheriff Porter yesterday, finally. What did he say? He's uh, considering our options. There weren't a lot of options. This is Sheriff Porter. Negligence is very hard to prove. You'd have to say that Howland's actions or, or inactions led directly to John Francis injuring himself, let alone Jacob Wells' death. Okay, okay, so, okay, okay. They weren't technically on Howland's land when all this stuff happened. But who dragged them out to the forest to begin with? Who made them do those exercises? Howland. Ultimately, Donald is the one responsible for his own son. A case could be made that he should be at fault for negligence. He wasn't too happy when I told him that. I said he could go f*** himself. Put that on your podcast, Brett. The party is now in full swing. There's about 35 adults spread across the main floor of the O'Connor's house, with an additional 15 kids in the basement below. The second-story living room opens up onto a deck. From there, porch light illuminates the O'Connor's backyard below. At the edge of the light is the bizarre configuration of a turkey hanging above an inactive deep fryer, framed by darkness and woods beyond. 10 p.m., two hours to go. Then I find out from my sister in Michigan that the pasty drop isn't an actual pasty. No, it's not. It's a, it's a string of lights in the shape of a pasty. <laughs> I know! Oh, I know. I couldn't believe it. I think the turkey drop is an improvement if you ask me. Wait, you guys have been training this whole time? Just, like, the last week. Why didn't you tell me? We thought you were grounded. Come over here. Okay. Have you talked to John Francis about it? No. He and Lexi aren't talking to me. We haven't heard from either of them. I'm still doing the final. It's going to happen. How? I'm turning 18. I'm going to do it during midwinter break. <laughs> That's so awesome! Shh! Are you guys in? I don't want to have to do it alone. Hey, guys. Hey. hey! Whoa! What's up? Nothing. Not much. Why are you avoiding me? I'm not avoiding you. You haven't texted me once. What's up, kids? Hi. Uh, hey. Paragon, can I um, can I talk to you for a second? I just want to have a little chat. Uh, sure. Okay. 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 Cool. Donald walks Peregrine out of the living room and into one of the vacant bedrooms just off a hallway. Eric and Woodsley look expectantly at John Francis, who stares at the closed bedroom door. I find Kathy Wells in the kitchen, grabbing herself another Lacroix. I ask her about what Donald is saying to Peregrine. Oh, I I imagine he's telling her that she shouldn't go, that it's for her own safety, that she should trust him, you know. He's done this before with Jacob and Peregrine, just to be the disciplinarian, I guess, because he thinks I'm not. Is that something you appreciate, or...? I don't know. (sighs) Brett, you asked me these questions about, you know, what do I think about my relationship to my cousin-in-law and my kids, and honestly, honestly, Brett, I've never had to think about this stuff. My life has been a... 
a series of just getting through it, you know? And I don't, I don't think it's worth much to sit and dwell on stuff because there's nothing you can do about it. But now I'm thinking, I'm thinking about it, you know, do I, do I like it? And no, I don't like it because I, when Randy and I divorced, I thought, you know, I am not letting anybody else run my life for me anymore. And so when there were tough times, Peregrine and Jacob and me, we'd, we'd figure it out and we'd get through it together by ourselves. So then when we lost, when Jacob, I'm sorry. It's okay. I just... I just sometimes I feel like I've lost my faith in my ability to know what to do. You know? And and then... It really... It makes me sad. <clears throat> because I want to trust my kids. Because I always did. But I also don't want to see Peregrine getting hurt. And there's the crux of it. If you try to protect your kids from the harsh realities of the world, how will they be prepared when they're lost in the woods with no one to find them? On the other hand, is preparing them for the worst an acknowledgement that ultimately we are, all of us, completely on our own? Before I can say anything to comfort Kathy, Peregrine emerges from the room with Donald. Her eyes are brimming. She catches my glance, wanting to speak, wanting to cry. John Francis sees it too. Peregrine rushes down the hall to the laundry room, and we follow suit. He said Howell is a criminal and that he let Jacob die. He said it's my fault that John Francis is hurt and that if my mom didn't forbid me from doing the final, then he would. It's not your fault. I wanted to be there. Come here. It's just pissed because I can't do track and I can't work at the stupid dealership. I'm not doing this for myself, you know? It's for Jacob. And I, I don't understand how everyone is just going on with their lives like nothing happened. Because I don't have a brother anymore. I know. And I know it's been like... A year and a half, and I'm supposed to just get over it, but I... I know, I know. I can't. I can't. I know. But... What if Hal did know? <laughs> he didn't. How do you know? I just know. He's not evil. He's just... He's sad. He's sad and, and he's alone and I think everyone he knows has let him down including me you haven't let anybody down just weird shit happens and you sometimes gotta make tough choices yeah let me talk to my dad I think I can get him to back off what is that? I don't know Peregrine and John Francis head into the living room. I follow. People are gathered outside on the deck, shouting down to the yard below. Some of the younger kids are crying. It seems maybe one of the guest's dog has gotten out. She's shouting for him to get inside, to get away from... Oh my god. It's a bear. 
thought was Peregrine. Try to find her, make sure she's okay. I saw Donald inside on the phone, and he pointed out back where the guests had all gathered. And that's when I went and looked down at the bear again. And there were some kids trying to scare it away. I could recognize Eric and Shane, who was banging on pans. And John Francis was locked in this dance with the dog as it barked at the bear. But who is it there with this blanket midair? And I'm staring and staring, and oh my god, it was Peregrine! I have no clue where it came from. I just knew that Peregrine ran down the steps and I ran with her. So Peregrine grabbed my mom's quilt so she would look bigger, and I grabbed the lemon square tins and I just went to town on them. Bang, bang, bang. The bear just wanted to get the turkey, obviously, but the the dog kept charging at him, and and the bear would swap back. It, It was this cycle that wasn't just going to end unless we did something. Like she knew what to do It's so strange when you witness An instant your daughter becomes Someone new Who was this girl? Who is this girl? Grab the dog! I got him. I got him. I got him. Okay, move to the fryer. Slowly. Eyes on the bear. She was standing her ground. She was feeling Shouted to Donald, you have to go help them, but none of us could. So we stood there and feared for them as they sidestepped their way towards the trees. I saw Peregrine gesture to Eric and tell him to bring her something with the fryer, I think. Oh, with all of the noise, it was hard to distinguish the thing which her finger was pointing at. Till Eric emerged with the fire extinguisher. He sprayed it at the bear, who roared and then reared. And then when the air cleared, the bear disappeared. And we threw up our hands and we cheered for them. This is the kid that I parade each night. Would grow up courageous and smart. Knowing when she should follow the rules and when she should follow. But I taught her to be. Oh my god! Oh! I can't believe you did that! I know. 
Yeah. Oh my God, I was so scared. Oh. I'm okay, Mom. <laughs> I'm okay. She knows right from wrong. She's aware of the rules. But now I can see that we're built differently. Still, I gave her the tools. I'm Derek Rodriguez. Our first story tonight, an attack by a black bear at a New Year's Eve party turns local teens into heroes. Chelsea Hamilton has the story. Whitetail resident Irene O'Connor's annual New Year's Eve party received a visit by an uninvited guest. About an hour before the clock struck midnight, a black bear wandered onto her property, attacking and injuring a neighbor's dog. Thanks to this swift action of four teenagers, the bear was frightened away and no further injury occurred. Authorities say the bear was drawn by a raw turkey hanging from a tree in the O'Connor's backyard, part of an annual turkey dropping tradition in the O'Connor family. I'm still in shock. I mean, you just, you can't, you can't prepare for this kind of thing. As of this evening, the bear is still being tracked down by the sheriff's department. We found it. We shot it. Oh, really? Yep. Not something you see every day. Yeah, I would have thought bears would be hibernating. Well, bears don't actually hibernate. But uh, the unusual thing was that this bear had what looked like, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, uh, collar marks on his neck. And his, uh, his back claws were... Well, they were either scraped down or clipped. Oh, wow. Yeah, when we tracked him down, he just laid there. Didn't try to run away or attack. Very unusual for a wild black bear. You think it was, like, a pet? Unclear, but it's pretty certain it had human contact in the past. People do stupid things, try to domesticate wild animals. That's never going to work out. If it's a wild beast, he's going to do wild things. So, uh... It's good we got to him before he caused more damage. Well, John Francis told his daddy's not doing the final. That's how he got him to drop the charges. Yeah, I was surprised to hear the charges had been dropped. Yeah, I guess he didn't care what I did. He just didn't want John Francis doing it, too. But my mom is finally on board, thank God. So it's just going to be me, Eric, and Woodsley. What about Lexi? She still says it's a bad idea and that she won't go if John Francis isn't going, which is (laughs) interesting. (laughs) She likes him. Yeah, I guess she does. (laughs) I never really thought about that. And what about Howell? He'll be there. How do you know? He always expects that other people will let you down. 
he's not going to be the one to let us down. We're family. The only family he has. Peregrine was right. The media circus around Howell would dissipate in the early days of the new year. And after nearly four weeks of being shut inside, Howell was in need of food. He emerged and walked his wagon to the pick-and-save to gather more of his winter sustenance. Peregrine's bravery against the bear attack made her a celebrity at school. And pretty soon, the story joined the repertoire of local lore at Bait and Tackle's shop. She's got nerves of steel, I tell you what. If I came face-to-face like that, I'd be the one running. Oh, but he's talking about the girl, not the bear, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Now, with the community behind her, and with Kathy's blessing, Peregrine and the two boys would resume their training in advance of a February 13th final. All of Whitetail would be watching the event. Standing by as three of their young would be led deep into the woods by an outsider, placing silent bets on whether or not they would be able to survive. Honestly, now that that bear is dead, I think the real danger is gone. By now you've likely recognized the reason in this rhyme. It isn't rivers, rocks, or trees that make the woods as strange as these. It's life's unwelcome guarantees that constitute these woods. The things that make us hurt and grow. Sudden grief, incessant woe. They come to all and all will know the darkness of those woods. The Van Calcar suit against Peter Howland. It's nearly impossible to prove intentionality in a wrongful death case. How are you going to show that somebody was motivated to not do something at the detriment of others? Only a, a, a history of that sort of malice is going to be convincing to a judge and jury. And according to Sheriff Porter, Howell just didn't have that kind of history. Hi, yes, I'm calling for a Brett Ryback. At least as far as any of us knew. My name is Sandra Pierce. I'm Peter Howland's cousin. Next time. In Strange Woods is a production of Atypical Artists. The series was created and written by Jeff Lupino Esposito... Brett Ryback, and Matt Sav. The series was directed by Jeff Lupino Esposito, music produced by Matt Sav and Evan Cunningham, and sound designed by Brandon Grugel and Stephen Jensen. In Strange Woods is executive produced by Matt Sav, Brett Ryback, Jeff Lupino Esposito, Lauren Shippen, and Brigham Snow. For more information about the cast and crew, please visit instrangewoods.com. Strange Woods.